This episode open ended is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. And the design director of Cards Against Humanity has delighted us with a song. Before we get started, we want to give you a brief announcement about a live show that we're having for the Chicago Podcast Festival. It's going to be Saturday, November 19th at the Promontory at what time, Cher? 11 p.m. Yeah, so definitely going to be taking a little bit of a disco nap before then. Same. The doors open at 10 p.m. and tickets are $25. So make sure to go to postloudness.com slash events slash CPF. And we're going to be opening for Hamilton, basically. Yeah, which is a big, big deal. Yeah, the podcast In the Room That It Happens by Earwolf is going to be the headliner that night. So if you want to get into that, you best get tickets because it's going to sell out. Yep. So quick reminder again, it is November 19th. That is a Saturday, 11 p.m. at the Promontory in Chicago's Hyde Park neighborhood. That's at postloudness.com slash events slash CPF. Hope to see y'all there. From Post Loudness, this is Open Ended. A show about tech, culture, and the side of that. I'm Tiffany Golar. I'm an artist, interior designer, and writer. The first thing that you would notice is the door. It has, I think, like 12 glass panels in it. So it's a very colorful door. If you come, like, in the middle of the day when the light is shining through the door, then it makes this really cool design on the wall opposite the door, um, like a stained glass window. So it has that kind of stained glass effect, which is really cool. Um, And then once you get inside, on one side of the studio, I have all the paintings that I've completed and um, then on the other side, I have, I, it's like my interior design side of the studio. And so it has a lot of the dollhouses that I've collected. I like modern dollhouses. So I have a kaleidoscope house that was um, designed by Lori Simmons and Peter Wheelwright. They're an artist and an architect. And it's, it's colorful like my door. And it's made of um, plastic. And it's like it's got clear plastic walls that you can rearrange and they can kind of overlap with each other and they're different colors you know so there's like a blue wall and a pink wall and a green and all these wonderful colors and then I've got modern furniture on the inside I've got um, different action figures that I've saved over the years Um, Michelangelo was my favorite turtle so I brought him I brought all my Michelangelos to the studio (laughs) I've got Punky Brewster and um, Yeah, yeah, I've got her and um, Chun Li from Street Fighter. So just all these fun action figures, kind of hanging out um, on a display. I have some. I have a group of dolls and toys that I call the Art Club, and they're all dressed up like artists. So I've got Bugs Bunny as an artist. I've got a little Lego man who's an artist. I have little uh, 
Kelly doll, who's like Barbie's baby sister, and she's dressed up as like a little tiny artist. And they've got easels and berets and, you know, just like the cliche of like, you know, what you would, you know, like what you see a cartoon artist wearing. And then I have like one doll that's dressed like, you know, an actual artist. So she's got like a, her um, smock with all this paint on it, you know. And yeah, so I've got that and postcards from different people's shows that I like and I I change that up every so often and then I have a lot of quotes from different artists who inspire me about painting you know I've got like Andy Warhol saying art is what you can get away with and you know then other quotes about color and then a really good quote from Vincent Van Gogh about um you know something I forget I forget how it goes now but it's something something about like if you you know something about like motivating you if you think that you can't paint so I've got like a nice collection of these quotes and a poster that <laughs> from from Paris uh, from this study abroad trip that I took in 1999 um, and it's got these big gummy bears like dancing and it was to advertise this music festival that I went to while I was there so yeah so it's very you know, it's a lot of really fun colorful stuff on that side and then um you know, and then kind of in the middle is where my easel is and my paints. I have them all on a cart together. I really decided that I wanted to do uh, painting. Well, I, I got interested when I was in undergrad. Um, I really enjoyed doing abstract painting. Um, I didn't think I would. I thought I was more interested in figurative work until I actually took my first oil painting class and I just fell so much in love with the texture and all the cool things you could do with the paint that I just wanted to explore textures and colors and um, I wasn't interested anymore in like it representing anything in particular and so I, I don't know I guess just the you know, it's that if you put it on really thick, like an impasto, it's almost like a sculpture, and you just want to like touch it and like, oh, look at that! It has crevices now because it dried out too fast, or you know, it's just really, I don't know, it's just really interesting to me to just kind of look at, you know, the the tactile nature of it, and just to be able to experiment with different media and see what will happen. And I think that that was how I ended up using a lot of recycled material in my work because, you know, I realized like, okay, I can only put so many layers of oil paint on before it's going to take, you know, months to dry. But if I if I use cardboard, you know, then I can do this cool thing over here or, you know, or what if I just attached a bunch of plastic grocery bags to this? Like, what'll happen? So that was how I ended up getting into that. And um, when I was in graduate school, everything kind of had to be thematically related. And so I ended up creating a style that I call post-consumerism. So it uses a lot of recycled stuff because um, it was like, well, if, and then people started giving me stuff because we all shared a big studio together at Governor State. And, you know, we could all see what the other people were working on. And so people would say, oh, I have this this interesting piece of cardboard that the ceramic thing I ordered came in. You want it? And so, you know, one guy was like, he, he's just finishing his pizza from, from the, <laughs> <laughs> the cafeteria. He's like, hey, do you want my box? That my pizza came in. So, you know, I would get all these interesting little things and end up making all kinds of uh, different pieces of art with it as a result. The the name post-consumerism had more to do with the use, using recycled materials that were already used. Like I wasn't going to go to, I think at Utrecht they used to sell like the honeycomb cardboard. I'm like, I'm not going to buy honeycomb cardboard, but if I, if I can acquire some that happens to come with a new piece of furniture, you know, that 
and it's in the box, then I'll use it. So I guess for me, it was more about like re- reusing stuff more so than, um, you know, just being like completely against like, no, nobody should buy this. But yeah, that's such, that's such a good question, though. Like nobody has asked me that. So, yeah, great question. You have such a physical practice in such a digital world. So do you ever feel like those worlds kind of like fighting with one another? Um, not really. I feel like I see, I guess I see the digital as a nice compliment to it. I like being able to take digital photos of my work and share them online. It's like, I feel like I've, I've found a way to kind of manage the best of both worlds, you know, to be able to create pieces that I can sell an original but then, you know, digitally, I can make all these amazing reproductions. I, and it's funny, I do everything except prints because I feel like the prints just make my work too flat because it's so dimensional that it just I just don't really care for it to be just a flat print. But once it gets printed on an object, then it becomes 3D again. So I don't mind having like headphones with my work on it or something. <laughs> This episode of Open Ended is also sponsored by Busy Beaver. And they wrote a really, really cute song. One, two, three, four. This episode of Open Ended is also sponsored by Basecamp. When you use Basecamp to run projects, people know what to do, people know where things are, and you stay on top of everything all the time. That's Basecamp here at the CPC. So so how does writing um, and your visual art practice kind of meld? Like, they seem to be so much in tandem with one another, especially with your background and being in a library so much. Right, right. Well, I knew when I was a little girl, I I had this dream that I would write picture books, you know, and, and draw pictures. So that was, you know, I think that was where it started. It was I was always interested. Like, once I learned how to read, I immediately wanted to write stories. But I also really loved to draw. I wanted all the crayons, you know, like my parents, you know, I was like, okay, I don't want just eight crayons. I want like the big box with the pencil sharpener, you know, so like I needed all the colors. So that's always the way I was. I always knew I was interested in art. And, um, and I think that, you know, because I'm interested in both art and writing, it just comes natural to me that it's like, I'm going to blog about my work. I'm going to, you know, like with the, with the series I did, the doll project, um, tell stories with the photographs and write them down, you know, to accompany the text. That's why it was so important. I mean, the images, that's why it was so important to me to put it together in a book so that I could do that. I do interior design. Um, and then I've had an opportunity to kind of translate that over into other areas. So I, I did book cover design for my um, for all of my art books as well as my young adult novel. It's called A Bitter Pill to Swallow. It's set in Chicago in the early 90s. It's about two African-American teenagers who are being treated for PTSD and depression, and they meet at a special school with kids for emotional problems, and their uh, interaction with each other ends up changing their lives for the better. Have you had any experience with um, mental disorder, um, like with children or in yourself, or how did that subject come about? 
Well, I was interested in psychology for a long time, as um, even when I was a teenager. And so I ended up um, getting an idea to write this story when I was in a summer program at Northwestern University in a creative writing class. And it ended up, it was supposed to just be a short story, but it ended up just growing into this novel that, you know, just took up all of my time. I worked on it in high school and college and um, ended up doing a ton of research and it wasn't until I visited uh, the University of Chicago's um, orthogenic school on campus that I realized the kind of story I wanted to write. So I ended up scrapping <laughs> the thing that I wrote and coming back to it like years later um, and deciding, OK, I'm going to write it this way about this unique environment because the, the school is designed to heal the students. And so it's a beautiful environment. It's a beautiful space. It's one of the most beautiful spaces I've ever seen. And I wanted to write about that kind of setting instead of like the one floor over the cuckoo's nest type situation that you usually see. Being a visual person, I've always, um, you know, I always envision like what my characters look like. So I did drawings of my characters um, from the very beginning and ended up uh, in this most recent iteration deciding not that I would make book covers because the story is told from different points of view mm-hmm. um, of, of my I mean it, let me let me rephrase that <laughs> okay so my story is told from multiple viewpoints okay so um, you get a chance to see the first person accounts from my different characters journals and kind of get inside their heads and so I thought it would be cool to feature my three main viewpoint characters on their own variant covers and then have like one generic cover. So cool. Yeah, thanks. So that's what I ended up doing. And so being a visual artist and mm-hmm. thinking about what they looked like helped. And then I also um, decided because I'm I'm a doll collector and I'm into dolls, so I decided that I would do some repaints. Which basically you take um, a fashion doll, just you know, factory made Barbie or Ken, and you remove the paint from the face of the doll with. Uh, acetone and then you paint on a new face the way that you want them to look so i never even heard that before that's baller (laughs) i wish i knew about that when i was a kid because i was like you know only thing i could like because when i was a kid the only barbie that kind of looked like me was like a puerto rican barbie or like and like she was and i won't even say like puerto rican is like you know being you know derogatory like it literally was like puerto rican barbie like that's what she was called i remember Yes. Yeah, like she wasn't Latina, she wasn't, you know, Hispanic. It was Puerto Rican Barbie. I was like, wow, we're going to just, all right, I guess we're doing this. That's really funny. Yeah. That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that was what I ended up doing because um, I had already done a series of photos of dolls. And mm-hmm. so for this, though, I just got my, my dolls a bunch of 90s looking clothes or actual 90s clothes. So that was kind of fun trying to find like hip hop clothes for Devante to wear, you know. And I, so like I've got him in some Kente cloth jeans yes. and some Doc Martens. And he's got, I've, I mean, I found this. Um, this doll has a high top fade, <laughs> so beautiful. So he looks the way Kid I described him in the book. I love exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Love yeah. It. So he looks the way I described him in the book, and so I ended up taking those images because I I knew I wanted to have some visual component that I could share on social media, and so you know I so I've got, I was able to make these visuals that I can kind of pair with quotes mm-hmm. from the story and put the, and I have a whole Tumblr for it, 
and share them on uh, Twitter and Pinterest as well. So, yeah, yeah. So, but I think that in a way that did kind of help me visualize what they're wearing so I could kind of describe what, you know, my characters better as I was writing. So, yeah. And and, so in a weird way, my art (laughs) helped my writing process. I don't think it's weird at all. (laughs) So I'm curious of where the title was inspired from. Um, It's, It's such a strong strong phrase oh thank you um i well initially i I knew that i knew that like the pills are initially in the old version of the story it was more like a suspense thriller and um the pills were a a definite element in the story and so i knew that i wanted the you know something with pills to be in there and i think i don't i can't and in high school i was because it had a different title at first it was called crazy i called it crazy pill syndrome that was what it was called when i first wrote it and when i was 14 a little ableist yeah <laughs> yeah just a little bit yeah just a tad ableist right, right. and so um, it's okay we, we, we were all young ones we right, didn't know we weren't yeah, woke then it's did fine. Not know. yeah and so um later when i was I don't know if I came across the phrase in when I in something else I was reading, or if I was deliberately because I like I said I worked in the library in high school. If I deliberately like got like a book of quotations or common phrases and was thumbing through it and came across it, but either way, when I was about like maybe sixteen, I think I decided this is what I'm going to call my book. And even after I ended up changing a lot of things in the story, and it's so hard. It's like I don't want to spoil the story. So like there's stuff I don't want to mention yet, but. Um, I ended up leaving that title because I was like, even symbolically, a bitter pill to swallow, having to deal, you know, there's something difficult in your life, but you have to deal with it anyway. You know, it's like, I mean, that describes the struggles of all the characters in my book. So I decided to just leave it there. Yeah. And the phrase has like a lot of racial um, undertones um, Mm -hmm. in it as well, like figuratively and um, like kind of conceptually in a way of like being black in America and dealing yeah. with the idea of being black is a bitter pill to swallow. Yeah, that's <laughs> in true. A lot I never of thought ways. about it that way, but yeah, that's such a good point. That's such a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just even just being a woman too. Yeah. Cause like, cause yeah. Like, yeah. So Absolutely. yeah, it, just being, you know, anyone that's a, an other right. So to speak, is, right. You know, right. Not, or not other, but like um, someone who's not the status quo. Right. Definitely, as a woman, I've had uh, two male painting teachers say, your work is just so feminine, you know. So, all right. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but okay. Yeah, and so yeah. Like, like, I am a woman, I guess. I mean, right. kind of <laughs> spot on. Sorry. Right. But oh, then in terms of my, um, in terms of my paintings, though, I haven't really had a lot of that interpreted as, um, you know, interpreted through the lens of, of race, um, but definitely through gender. But yeah, but with the doll project, I have had some people say things like, you know, they were, I don't know, I've like one woman said something about like, I'm surprised that you would have Barbies because you're black. And I'm just like, well, there were black Barbies too. Like, what are you even talking about? You know, yeah. and she was older. So, you know, it was like from a different era. But yeah, that was odd. So I've, you know, I, so I have had, you know, comments about that or, you know, or some people that kind of were hoping that the doll project would be something to do with race or, you know, when I tell them about it, they think about the doll test, you know, with Kenneth Clark and, you know, the, the kids with the baby dolls and like, do you prefer the white doll or the black doll? Mm. I'm like, but this is not what, you know, this is, this particular project is not about that. Like it's an important issue, but that's not what I'm addressing in this mm-hmm. project. So 
yeah, I, I, I do feel though like people do want to kind of look at things that way or impose things, you know, impose that view or even just the expectations too. I think that a lot of people have of black artists that, you know, your work is supposed to, um, you know, represent blackness in some way, you know, and it's, you know, and, and there's, you know, and I've, I've seen a few articles now that have addressed this, that there is this kind of, um, I don't know, like, it's almost like black abstract painters can get kind of forgotten and lost in the shuffle because we're not necessarily doing what the art world um, expects of us, you know, the marketplace expects of us, you know, the subject matter that we, you know, that we don't portray, you know, and it was interesting, like in the Carrie James Marshall exhibit and they, there was a quote, you know, from him about like, it almost made me feel like I'm not, I'm not allowed to do abstract painting because there's not enough black people on the walls at the museum. I'm like, that's not fair. I don't want to paint people all the time. And, you know, (laughs) do you ever feel um, pressures from other artists or the market because your work doesn't particularly address race in that way? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I feel kind of like left out, and yeah, it's just weird because I do a lot of I've done a lot of shows for recycled art, and I'll be the only black artist there. And then you know I did you know the few times I have done like the black art shows, it's like I'm the only abstract painter there. <laughs> so it's it's just a weird place to be, and like everybody else is selling all these wonderful paintings of President Obama or something, and I'm just like, hi, I have colors and shapes, and like <laughs> nobody seems to care. <laughs> What do you want your legacy to be? Wow, that's such a good question. Um, <laughs> you have such good questions. I, I uh, let me let me think about that for a second. Yeah, sure, take your time. <laughs> no rush. I just hope that through all the different work I've done, that I can just make people think and maybe look at things differently and not trying to like preach to people and tell them what to think or what kind of people to be, but just to realize, you know, um, that my mind is going blank. Um, I, but seriously, just to reconsider the way that the, the media may, you know, especially with like the doll project, you know, like kind of, thinking for yourself and pushing back against the media and pop culture and what everybody thinks you should look like, for example, you know, in in that, I I guess that's kind of a thread that runs through a lot of my work is just like, you know, think for yourself or reconsider or, you know, like with, with the, even with the paintings, you know, it's like this, you know, this doesn't just have to be trash. You can do something with this. You don't have to just throw it away in a landfill. Like you could reuse it somehow. You can make something beautiful out of nothing you know and and I think that's really um the message of my paintings you know and that's probably the closest thing there is to a message with it being abstract but you know but just kind of looking at you know and I guess it kind of reminds me of situations in my own life where you know it's like I've had to try to make something out of nothing and so you know so hopefully that inspires people Hey, Cher. Hey. Do you know what time it is? It is open call It's time. open call time. <laughs> open call. It is open call time. So if you're unfamiliar with open call, open call is where every once in a while, Cher, myself, and in our case, 
the lovely guests we have in the studio, we'll talk about something that we're feeling this week. It could be a concept. It could be an idea. It could be whatever the fuck we want. Mm-hmm. So we always start with our guests. So, Tiffany, what are you feeling this week? Podcasts. Nice. <laughs> oh, you don't say. And I'm not just saying that because I'm here. It's just. Oh, you're just pondering. That's big <laughs> it. But seriously, it has been a very tough week. A lot of crazy things happening in our country. And it was just so nice to be able to listen to a podcast the other night after a debate so that I wouldn't cry myself to sleep. So just to take my mind off things. But also, I mean, I just... I love listening to them while I'm doing other things. I love listening to them while I'm painting. I love listening to them while I'm washing the dishes. Um, just They're just so wonderful to kind of get inside other people's heads and find out what other people are thinking and doing all over the place. So I love, I love being able to do that. What are your favorites right now? Um, I Another round, film spotting, um, better than the movie. Black Girl Nerds. Uh, I think those are, and, and of course, <laughs> of course, open ended. Blue does like seriously. No, but I, I mean it though. I mean it though. Oh, yeah. That's sweet. So that's yeah. Sweet. Thank you. But like, I'm like, girl, you do not have to like, you do not have to. You don't. Yeah, have, I'm not fishing for compliments here. You don't have to blow. He's, he's he has enough ego that we're like good. <laughs> I wish I wish this was video because you could see just the hard side I am giving to right now. <laughs> so, share. <laughs> Damn, that's going to be hard edit. So, share. What are you feeling this week? Um, there's a show. It's it's about three or four episodes in uh, their third season, but it's called Younger. It's on TV Land, which is a, sh- it's a network that people don't typically think that has like cutting edge television. It's usually kind of like a um, a kind of a farm for syndicated television shows from like the 1970s. Like they have like you know daily marathons of All in the Family. So like it's one of those networks where people typically don't find new content, which is the worst word, but new media, new TV shows. <laughs> I'm just not just like messing with James. Um, this is fun. Um, <laughs> But um, Younger is um, the new show. It's been around two years since now. So, again, it's third season. And um, it was by Darren Starr, who is famous for bringing Sex and the City to our airwaves. And it's about a sh- it's about this woman. Her name is Liza. And she's in her 40s. And she has a kid. And she's recently divorced. And she's trying to get back into the publishing world where she was when she was, you know, in her early 20s before she got married and started having kids became a housewife but she realized she really couldn't find a job because she had like no experience she had been out of the workforce for 18 plus years raising her child and in order for her to get a job she had to lie about her age so she masquerades as a 26 year old in her day job and then like in her real life she's 40 years old with a kid and it's her kind of just like meandering through both worlds and every episode there's always an incident where they might clash and it's very fun, silly, but it's really interesting. And it talks about age in a way that, like, is really refreshing because, you know, age is nothing but a number in so many ways. And, you know, seeing this woman who is just constantly trying to, you know, build her life at, you know, kind of starting her life again at 40, but, like, also you know starting her life in such a digital age too and like just the, the the generation gap is so massive and it's only 15 years but 
Like, she, you know, she's 41, masquerading as a 26-year-old girl, but, like, the 15-year-old gap is so intense. And she also has a couple, you know, she's a guy who's 26 years old, she's dating, who, who knows that she's 40, and that's fun. There's also a guy who's similar her age, who's also her boss, and he has feelings for her, too. So there's a lot of fun stuff going on there, but I think the age um, discussion is really thought-provoking and it's I don't know it's really interesting so that is my shout out this week is younger on tv land also Hillary Duff is in it and she's bae for life I have stand her since Lizzie McGuire so I am here for Hillary Duff so younger that's my shout out what about you James so I'm feeling me this week <laughs> and- Talked about ego, right? <laughs> and I mentioned his ego. No, I'm just. I am. I am. I do not lie. <laughs> Where's the lie? I don't see it. Um, not I'm looking, from me. I'm, I'm looking for it. I can't find the lie. Oh my god. Uh, no, I'm. I'm. I'm giving my. I'm. I'm really happy for myself because yeah. I now have a new job, and I did not think that I would be like having a new job but now i'm going to be spending my days working for mtv news and i'm pretty pretty thrilled about it i am their new producer can be working on all their podcasts and my first podcast credit came out for um their show called the stakes which is like their political uh, based podcast and in it i interviewed alicia swizz from the pussy grabs back protest that happened out here in Chicago um, in front of the Trump Tower and it just feels good to be back in like a fast paced newsroom environment and working with incredible deadlines and moving super quick and yeah I'm kind of like still wheeling around this whirlwind of like having a new job and still doing post loudness and sadly share. I will be moving <laughs> out of Wait, Chicago. What? Well, you knew this. <laughs> no, no. The way you're telling me this is like, yeah. like I did have known for yeah. like two months, but like yeah, I can't I know. tell anybody. Yeah. And, no, and, I, like, and honestly, this is something I want to talk about on a different episode. But just we will. Yeah. <laughs> we will. I feel like this this needs a whole episode. We need to talk yeah. about this. But like, yeah, it's obviously I'm thrilled for him. Like I'm I'm over here like. Okay, fine. Bye. <laughs> Leave now. Go to go wherever you're gonna go. I don't care. No, yeah. I'm super supportive. Um, and I'm just thrilled. I'm so excited for the world to get to know this guy and uh, the world to hear more from him. So yeah. yeah. So open. Uh, so we are probably gonna talk about this on a later episode, but um, by the end of the year, I'll be moving to either New York or Los Angeles, and yeah, open end. It will still be a thing. Um, we're still gonna we're be doing going to be doing this. Anywhere. We ain't going nowhere. You know, that's uh, the internet allows us to do this thing. So it's still going to be running as usual. But but yeah, I'm just really thrilled about this news. So I want to give a shout out to me. <laughs> In the most James's, most James moment of open ending. Gonna just knock that 75th one right in the nuts and just like, hey, shout out to me. I love me. It's I wish, all about me. You should I have, wish, you should have I, Maya's song, It's All About Me, playing underneath right now. You know, you just do that. Just, since, just good idea. embrace all of it. 
just since I am the producer for the show, I literally could clip in all the instances that Cher oh herself <laughs> has given herself shout outs, not in open call, but throughout various, various parts of the show. I remember only one time that I gave a shout out as open call and it was the end of the year episode last year i don't remember any other times oh I but then again i am i am i am my own blind spot i never know when <laughs> i give myself praises i'm constantly self-deprecating so <laughs> all right open-ended is Cher vincent and james t green and we are a proud member of post loudness a collective of independent audio shows hosted by people of color women and queer identified hosts you can learn more at postloudness.com and we're also a proud member of the CPC, the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you dig this show, we really think you'd like Random Conversations with Elizabeth. Elizabeth Cambridge has random conversations with random people. You can learn more about her show at randomconversations.squarespace.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ecambridge. That's E-C-A-M-B-R-I-D-G-E. And we need money, folks. We always need money. Unfortunately, we live in a capitalist society and we can't barter for eggs or goose eggs or clothes, even though clothes are really cute. We need to pay bills. So you can help us do that by going to openended.fm slash donate for one-time donations. Or you can head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash openended to give us money on a monthly basis starting at $1 a month. We really, really appreciate it. And if you don't have any money to spend, believe me, we understand, you can do something that is free, F-R-E-E, and that's give us a review. Literally takes two minutes of your time. That way, other people can know that this show is great. That way, you can give us great praise and, you know, give us five stars. Like, don't be petty, y'all. No. And you petty can, or not, here I come. I'm just going to let you have that. How can they contact us, Cher? You can go to openended.fm slash contact. You can also email us at theopenendedpodcast at gmail.com or hit up us on the Twitter. You can hit us up at openendedfm. So before we head out, at the very end of this episode, we have a special message by the Nuisance Committee. So after this, make sure to tune in. Until next time. Keep things open-ended. During World War II, President Roosevelt signed an executive order to imprison Japanese Americans in concentration camps. American citizens who had done nothing wrong lost their jobs, their businesses, and their freedom. Families were torn apart, and children grew up behind barbed wire fences. Today, Japanese American imprisonment during World War II is considered a stain on the legacy of American history. In 1988, President Reagan paid reparations to innocent Japanese Americans who were wrongly imprisoned and issued a formal apology. When we look back at that history today, it is tempting to wonder, how could this have happened? How could we have been so scared of our neighbors that we locked them up? How did the land of the free get it so wrong. Donald Trump says that when he's president, an armed deportation force will occupy American cities. Trump's deportation task force will investigate innocent people and round them up into concentration camps. Trump says he'll ban all Muslims from entering our country. Donald Trump's plan 
has once again caused neighbors to fear one another and turned Americans against our own people. This election is a test. Can we learn from the mistakes of our past and reject Trump's cruel, unconstitutional prison camps? Or are we doomed to repeat history? This November, the choice should be easy for all patriotic Americans. We must vote against American concentration camps, and we must vote against Donald Trump. The Nuisance Committee is responsible for the content of this advertising. Post loudness.